0: Welcome to our Inside Asia M&A podcast series. Digital infrastructure is like the new bridges and roads that support our economy. And the booming demand for digital infrastructure, particularly in emerging markets, is driven by rapid digital adoption in Asia, where companies are adopting cloud services and the rapid growth of 5G networks, IoT and streaming content demands are making digital infrastructure development keep pace, all in a very complex legal environment. And in 2021, digital infrastructure deals worth 30 billion US dollars were announced just in Southeast Asia. And in 2022, the trend is largely continuing across different digital infrastructure asset classes, including mobile towers, data centers, fibers, satellites, and subsea cables. Today, we will discuss the factors driving M&A deals in digital infrastructure around the Asia Pacific region. My name is Cynthia Ng. I'm a senior corporate law specialist based in Hong Kong, with a focus on M&A transactions across the region, and I'll be your host today. Let us welcome our guests who are Wilson Chung, Principal at Digital Bridge Investment Management, and Mark Robinson, our sector lead partner, TMT, based in Singapore. Welcome, Wilson and Mark.
1: Hi, Cynthia. Nice to meet you, and thanks for hosting the podcast. Thank you for having me, Cynthia.
0: So Wilson, where do you think demand is primarily coming from for digital infrastructure?
1: Thanks,
2: Cynthia. Look, from Digital Bridges' perspective, we see a couple of major trends, not just in Asia, but also globally. Firstly, there's a digitization boom. There's been exponential increases in data consumption for an extended period of time. This has really been driven by the consumers accessing a broader and richer content set which you know, often includes you know, video and other bandwidth and intensive applications and enabled by you know, new technologies you know, such as 5G and rollout of 4G coverage in emerging markets, which were previously served by 3G. Also, we've seen fiberization of home broadband infrastructure, which is another form of technology that's you know, facilitating access to more content. Uh, the other part of the uh, you know, equation here is on enterprise IT demand. There's been an outsourcing trend in enterprise IT infrastructure for a long time, you know, starting in North America. We're seeing that start to take hold in Asia. So initially in some of the developed Asian markets, such as Australia and Japan, but more recently here in Southeast Asia. And that's driving a lot of demand for public cloud infrastructure, which in turn is also driving demand for things such as hyperscale data centers and fiber infrastructure. The other thing that's accelerating this enterprise IT trend is some of the uh, changes in work patterns we saw from the pandemic, you know, namely the work from home trend that has changed, you know, the way that people work, that is changing the way and has changed the way that companies are planning their IT infrastructure. And, you know, our view is that this is something that's going to be lasting. The last thing I'd add is, you know, from looking ahead and what we see in the future, there are a range of you know, upcoming technologies, you know, which may further accelerate the demand for digital infrastructure, you know, things like, you know, artificial intelligence or machine learning, you know, IoT, and other forms of machine
1: to machine communications. Mark, what are you uh, seeing from your perspective? But, um, very much similar themes for me, what we've been seeing is really a confluence of, of things very noticeably the emergence of big tech and the prominence in digital infrastructure, as well as digital engagement, as you mentioned on the demand side, but also interestingly, the diversity of digital infrastructure deployment across the region and very much the rise of private capital on the supply side, creating more and more defined asset classes in digital infrastructure. We're finding a lot of people asking us at the moment, very topical, uh, what the impact of global geopolitical and macroeconomic issues are having on digital infrastructure m So, Wilson, I was wondering, what are your sort of observations on those issues?
2: Mark, look, I, I think from my perspective, there are three things. At the sort of top of our mind. I think the first one is geopolitics, you know, the impact on foreign investment regulations. I think there is a heightened focus in some jurisdictions around source of capital, origins of capital, and the origins of the manager or the operator, you know, who's making those investments. That's made obtaining investment approvals, um, I think, more lengthy and also more work is being required to be put into those regulatory approvals. I think that's one issue. I think the second issue is more macroeconomic, which is the impact of inflation and, and rising interest rates. And that is also somewhat tied into geopolitics because geopolitics has been you know, partial cause of you know, some of the supply chain disruptions we've seen across the world, but also in our industry. I think the overall sort of impact of those factors has resulted in rising cost of capital. So cost of debt and cost of public equity has gone up significantly in the last you know, six to nine months, which is leading to, I think, some modest you know, repricing in assets, particularly publicly traded assets. So I think it's still somewhat, you know, early. I think in the cycle, and you know, I think there's a lot of discussion around whether you know, rates are peaking or have they peaked. You know, on our side, we're just observing what's going on. We are making some adjustments to our models, but that's certainly something that you know is having an impact on our business. The other point around supply chain is and inflation is that not only have we observed the cost of our imports, you know, the, the components and equipment that goes into building digital infrastructures increase, but there's also been delays I and mean, issues with availability of supplies and parts. So that's leading us to have to spend more time and effort, you know, planning our supply chains and ordering, for example, parts and equipment you know, in advance in order for us to be able to meet our customer commitments.
0: Thank you, Wilson and Mark. This is all very helpful summary of the issues and themes that we see in digital infrastructure m and So we're just wondering, like from your perspective, what factors do you think are driving the ownership of the asset classes? For example, whether ESG is playing a role in driving digital infrastructure ME?
2: I think there are a few parts to that question. I think the first part is, you know, what is actually happening in terms of who owns the assets and what do they want to do with those assets? So I think digital infrastructure assets have historically been owned and developed by operators, right? whether it's uh, wireline operators, wireless operators, or you know, data center operators, or even people who use data centers, such as corporates and technology companies. Over the last you know, 10 to 15 years, there's been a very strong outsourcing trend in terms of infrastructure. I think these companies are realizing that passive infrastructure, such as wireless towers and data centers, are not something that's necessarily core to their business. Um, so there's been a trend to release capital or simplify their internal management by divesting these assets. So that's one part that's led to a model where there's been third party you know, owners of those assets and those assets are often shared you know, between multiple users. And that's good, by the way, that increases the efficiency of these assets, and reduces you know, duplication. So I think that's sort of one big aspect. I think another aspect is the availability of capital for the space. So I think over the last year, five to 10 years, we've observed a very significant increase in interest in investing in digital infrastructure. And I think initially it started as a subsector within the broader infrastructure space. Communications infrastructure is what people often refer to. But I think over the last five years, this sector has now evolved into a dedicated vertical in the investment universe. And there's been dedicated digital infrastructure funds, such as uh, our fund, Digital Bridge Partners too, which have been raised to invest in this space. I think the availability of capital on the equity side, the availability of debt from lenders and institutional markets, I think has enabled, you know, the development of an expansion of digital infrastructure and has driven efficiencies in terms of financing, which has ultimately led to your lower costs for our customers. I think the last part of it is, and so talking about, you know, moving forward, I think the capital aspect of what I just mentioned, I think will continue to evolve. I think there will be more and more interest in terms of investing in the space. I think we're seeing a lot of interest from long-term, you know, low-cost capital providers such as pensions and sovereigns. I think that will continue to deploy more capital in the space. I think as the you know ownership models continue to evolve where you've got more infrastructure being managed by your know, dedicated operators, specialists, you know, who are raising capital from these long-term investors, I think that will lead to better and improved access to infrastructure, you know, across different geographies, including in emerging markets.
1: Maybe just on the ESG point, Cynthia, I think that very much seems to be increasing and coming to the fore. And we have seen in the region, big tech companies actually more or less sort of directly investing into renewables assets in order to meet demand for things like, you know, data centers where obviously the energy use is very high. And at the moment, we've got big tech clients that are taking up, you know, power purchase agreement arrangements in Singapore for the renewable energy import tender process that the government is running. So I think that kind of mixing, I suppose, of the ownership of some of these asset classes is definitely something that we're sort of starting to see more and more of, other than that, I would just reiterate really what um, Wilson said about the, we mentioned it before, rise of the private capital, you know, funds and so forth. From my perspective, probably the biggest single driver in digital infrastructure m investment over recent years in this region. And that's, as Wilson said, sort of changed the dynamics a bit, you know, the sort of growth capital end through to long-term or more strategic funds and the different types, whether it's core plus infrastructure focused REITs. Pension sovereign funds, you know, it is that provision of the, I think, not only the equity capital, but the you know, bringing with them the strong debt capital leverage and relationships. And it's really helped, particularly with the development and market risks, I think, in this part of the world that previously were, you know, limiting in terms of the pool of investors and lenders that I think probably had an appetite for digital infrastructure. So that's very much sort of shifted or helped to sort of underline this uh, trend towards separation of these asset classes and different types of, sort of ownership behind them.
0: Earlier this year, Herbert Smith Freehills explored the changes and opportunities that COVID-19 has brought on Global and Asia Tech M&A, and what are the key considerations to look out for when acquiring tech companies. Check out our article in the Global M&A 2022 report, located at the relevant publication section on our podcast page. Now back to our discussion with Mark and Wilson.
2: So question for Mark and Cynthia, uh, are there any particular structuring or legal issues that your clients are you know, focused on?
0: Thanks, Wilson. We have certainly seen FDI regulations and data privacy regulations having a role to play in structuring of digital infrastructure and many transactions. So, for example, we have seen FDI regulations tightening in Australia, the States and Europe. And we have recently seen an example in Australia involving a Singapore government-linked company recently. And in Asia, the trend has been continuing in relation to relaxation of FDI regulations. But in digital infrastructure, there remains a higher degree of discretion for regulators. Laws, regulations and licenses do still have foreign investment limits or requirements in some emerging markets, including Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines and China. For example, we have seen example of mobile towers and data center deals in Malaysia being impacted by foreign investment limits. And there has also been a trend for data localization in, for example, China, where we have seen stricter data protection laws being in place. On the other hand, national security laws are also playing a role, risking data which may be onshore, and that's having an impact at the infrastructure level. So what we have been doing is helping a multinational banking client to disperse its regional data center space by not just relying on Hong Kong as a hub as well. On the data center front, we have seen data privacy regulations playing a major role in the operations of data centers, especially where the data center processes the data as well and not just providing a space to store the data. Especially after Europe's GDPR came into effect, we see investors paying increasing attention in reviewing policies, procedures of data centers, and also security measures and their contract templates in order to ensure full compliance with GDPR. So Mark, what other key issues are you experiencing or expecting for digital infrastructure deals across the APEC region? Or what would you say would be the outlook for digital infrastructure M&A for, say, the rest of the year? I
1: think um, in terms of sort of issues, sort of managing the diversity and the complexity of this region for digital infrastructure deals remains challenging, whether it involves sort of greater government and regulatory engagement, which you mentioned some reasons for, or sort of leveraging and trying to de-risk local partnerships where those are used or have to be used. So, um, you know, we've seen very recently in the Philippines, some financial challenges faced by the local partner for the new mobile entrant in that market, which I guess sort of highlights, you know, some of the the challenges around those aspects of of these sorts of deals. The, The sort of international law piece as well, those issues around trade sanctions, very much again, featuring sort of more... For example, we've been working recently on a number of trans-Pacific subsea cable systems, which bypass the South China Sea, which used to be the sort of chosen route for those sort of geopolitical reasons, obviously in Myanmar, in this part of the world, we've seen a number of digital infrastructure investors face challenges brought on by sanctions there, uh, whether those are sort of direct or indirect, and some exits or aborted deals in the digital infrastructure space. So trying to manage these risks as much as possible up front is just as over, but increasingly uh, an absolute imperative.
0: Thanks, Mark. Any other insights from Wilson's perspective?
1: Yeah,
2: look, from our perspective, you know, legal issues aside, I think one of the challenges that you know, re- remain for us are a high valuations in a space. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, this is an attractive sector. That's seen a lot of capital enter. So notwithstanding the recent market volatility in public debt and equity markets, valuations in the private space remain very high. And it's also part of the reason why this digital bridge, a lot of our portfolio companies are now choosing to build and develop the greenfield infrastructure rather than m and I think the other aspect, particularly for Asia, is just the, the lack of high quality assets which are available for, for purchase. It is difficult to source good M&A opportunities. And again, it's another factor that leads us to more of a you know, greenfield strategy, regardless of whether it's in, in data centers or towers. Um, lastly, you know, as the sector expands, we're seeing a lot of activity in emerging markets. So the sector historically revolved around developed Asian markets, such as you know, Australia, and Japan and Korea, but we're seeing a lot of activity these days in Southeast Asia, in India and other places. So you know, as we enter those markets, just the sort of usual issues around underwriting investments in emerging markets will be at the front of our mind, things such as you know, currency, risk, interest rates, and regulatory you know, frameworks and so forth.
1: I think just in terms of outlook, i maybe just quickly add that you know, despite obvious sort of issues we've discussed and headwinds maybe generally in the market, some locations more than others, certainly we seem to be seeing still a lot of activity in the digital infrastructure space across the APAC region. It hasn't really seemed to soften, or if it has, not quite much overall. Data centers seems to remain incredibly busy and active as with mobile towers and also mobile and fixed telecoms seems quite active. Markets like Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, Wilson, you mentioned India, you know, and Australia still, as well as others. So we're seeing what's the focus at the moment.
0: Thanks, Mark and Wilson. Thank you so much for the insightful discussion today.
1: Thanks, Cynthia. Yeah, many thanks, Cynthia. It's great.
0: If you have any questions or comments on this topic, we would love to hear from you. And please be sure to tune in to the next episode of our M&A podcast series, which will focus on deal making in Indonesia. Thank you for listening.